Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Bets. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, we put a bow on the regular season previews yesterday, uh, and which means we're basically already there. I mean, it's basically NFL regular season now, in my mind, at least. We don't have any more previews. So uh, happy to kind of be in this, uh, um, you know, in this time of the calendar year. Uh, I feel like um, I, I do, f- I guess, uh, you know, before we, before we welcome our guests. What are you going to uh, write me there- a poem? No, no. I just, I, I, I feel <laughs> you, like we are, really, really I feel it. like we are in a good place in terms of re- relative oh, to sure. market. You know, like we, we did our homework. We were prepared. We didn't let the Olympics distract us. Uh, you know, I'm not running around, you know, trying to chase Little League World Series and, you know, FCS football anymore. Like I'm dialed in on uh, I'm dialed in on the NFL. And uh, we wanted to have one more high level conversation to really kind of talk about the state of handicapping the NFL uh, with one of the brightest minds in the space content content creator uh, over at pro football focus what is officially your title uh and of, of course welcome back to the deep dive dr eric eager hey guys yeah i, I was saying off air i was like uh all I, I don't generally listen to the shows that i'm i'm on and but you guys are the exception so it's great to be back um i i guess now it's vice president of research and development so i'm in charge all right at PFF, um, it, it somehow, somehow though doesn't get me out of meetings on time. So <laughs> it still is not a, a ton of cachet yet. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to, to talk to you guys about the NFL. You guys are, I always sort of, you know, think, what do Andy and Drew think? If I'm like off market on something, I kind of always want to make sure uh, that, that if, if you know you guys are maybe on the same side as me so it's, it's great to chat about the nfl season which is you know not that far away yeah we have a ton of uh conversations off the air too in the in the dms too and it is good like hell we did a whole podcast in this last year the year before honestly it all runs together it's like a super long marriage here with drew they just i can't forget like when when did we go to poughkeepsie i don't remember but we did a whole (laughs) podcast on networking like how important it has become for us and like so we have people to talk to i think honestly one of the first people like suma we started talking to him back and forth a little and there's been there's been a few other guys that we added that and eventually we got to where we're at now where there's a ton of people we talk to and eric is definitely somebody we you know we bounce stuff off youtube for sure and especially because you were proofy to you know, all that good data you're hiding over there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, and, and uh, you know, and particularly like, uh, I got to ask you uh, a specific question about this in a minute, but just to kind of continue the love fest before we really get into the uh, meat of this podcast. Um, the PFF forecast is a perfect complimentary piece to the deep dive. If you don't already listen to it regularly, you should too. It's funny because we record them almost at the same time yeah. <laughs> in, in time. So there's, you know, you're getting kind of a clean, unbiased opinion about the games, which is always fun. And I, and realistically, the back and forth you guys have, and in general, like the headspace uh, that your particular opinion is, you know, operates in is, is very, very close to my own. So I always, uh, always have been interested when you're a little bit off where I'm going or, you know, and or uh, in strong agreement, it's uh, it's good confirmation bias probably. But um, speaking of research and development, you had a, a very uh, interesting summer 
with an intern where you get to put people to work, uh, like digging into some interesting football questions. Um, can you give me a little bit of insight in terms of just sort of how did your summer go? Uh, what were some of the things that you really kind of prioritized in terms of we have this data, let's get to the bottom of some questions. And, uh, you know, what were some of the major takeaways? That this, is, this is so perfect for what time of the year it is. It's like back to school time. For <laughs> how, was your yeah, yeah. how was your summer? Vacation? What did you spend your time doing? Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Like, um, you know, we're in a position now where I think, you know, in the football analytics space in general, there's so much open data and free data. And so you get to like, you get to see who the good people are, even before you have to pay them a dime. And it's like, I remember two years ago, three years ago, we, uh, Timo Risky, who is on my team now, you know, he was, you know, we were arguing with him on Twitter about stuff. And you're like, oh, this guy thinks about things really nicely. Let's hire him. We hire him. And then, you know, we had um, Lao Shui Yu, who we hired last fall, very similar where you already know, you know, his, his you know, background. And then, you know, this past year, you know, during the pandemic, it's sort of this blessing where I get asked to give lectures now where they used to have to like fly me all the way there, pay for a hotel, I give a lecture. And then the pandemic like opened up this fact that like you don't actually need to do that. You just need like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks and I'll do it, you know? And so I give these talks. I gave a talk at like the Fordham sports analytics group, the Ohio state, the Michigan one bore significant fruit for us. We, we got plenty of, of, um, you know, interns from there, specifically Tage Seth. We also got an intern from uh, Penn or Wharton, uh, Zach Drapkin. We shared him this summer with the Ravens. Um, you know, so th those two specifically have been working on a lot of the stuff that now that I'm in more of an administrative role, I can hand off some of the ideas uh, that I have to them. And it's like sort of, you know, historically, it used to be like if I had an idea that was a really good idea, it had consequences, meaning I had to work on it for 80 hours. <laughs> and, and now I can just yeah, send it, to, prove it. Yeah, right. to, to these guys. And I mean, some of them, they, they turn this over extremely quickly. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's been a really good you know time learning about some of the data that we have, um, looking at sort of how accuracy can sharpen some of the metrics we have, uh, looking at, you know, I think. I think the biggest insight from a gambling perspective is almost this idea of of trying to really understand passing and trying to really understand the risks and rewards of things. You have PFF grades, which I think are really stable year to year. You have CPOE, which is stable year to year. You have, you know, EPA per play, which is actually fairly good. People diss on EPA, but it's actually fairly good. But can you sort of like even do better? Can you, can you refine um, sort of expectations to a point where you know, because take like take CPOE as an example. Patrick Mahomes is so good at quarterback that he engineers throws that by the time he releases the ball, accuracy is trivial, right? You remember that that touchdown he had against Travis Kelsey in that Sunday night game, where CPOE is not really going to shine brightly on that play because Kelsey's open by a country mile, but he's open by a country mile because of the pocket maneuvering that Mahomes did before the throw even happened. Right. So you look in, and so CPOE is going to tell you Cousins is better than than Mahomes, which is silly on its face. Right. PFF war is going to tell you that Lamar Jackson actually isn't that valuable. And, and you know, where that co it comes from, the very same origination 
that that war is going to tell you that Shoni Atani is not that valuable because when he bats, he's batting as a DH when we all know that he's not, right? And, you know, when Lamar Jackson runs with the ball on design runs, he's a running back, but he's really not, right? Like, so there you find these, you find every single year you find holes in the way that you understand the game and the and you know it's so much fun to be able to go in and sort of dig at them the last one i'll talk about so last year i right when COVID happened i sort of had this idea that like you know society is only as good as its weakest members and i thought about defense in that regard and that's where the research came that like basically if you really want to talk about a unit on the defensive side of the ball you want to look at person number three or four it's actually true about offenses too. And, and, and it especially pronounced in the biggest games. And when you look at how, for example, Tampa Bay beat Kansas City, Tampa Bay beat Kansas City because they're, they can play a numbers game and take away your top two targets. Tampa Bay was able to get rid of Green Bay in the NFC title game because Devontae Adams is the only target for Green Bay. And you can play that numbers game. And it's very similar. Andy, I know you, you follow the Twins. It's sort of like the Twins when we were growing up win 95 games and make the playoffs. They were optimized for that. But when they got into the playoff series against the Yankees and Angels and A's and stuff, they didn't have a number one starter. And so I think teams like Green Bay and maybe, unfortunately, Kansas City last season were optimized to win 13, 14 games. But to play an elite defense – the guy that showed up big in 2019 Super Bowl was Sammy Watkins, right? He was the he was the guy who was 100 yards in the Super Bowl was really like I think took them over the edge in the Super Bowl against Tampa wasn't there and the data sort of bore that out. So football and I know you you would talk about this with the Rams Drew, football is much more of a weak link system than I think any of us sort of give it credit for. It's funny god you bring up the those Twins teams hurt my heart. That uh <laughs> Sure, they started won some playoff series, right? They won some we started oh, way back. I've been to a Twins playoff win. That's how long. And this was in the Metrodome, for Christ's sakes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we started Boof Bonzer in like a game two or something. It was it's like, <laughs> oh, man, this isn't going to go well, isn't this? And no, and it's interesting, too. And God, you're, I mean, you're living the dream as far as having interns. Right? You know, not going to what someday I can have some people working on research for me. But like, well, there's, I have just pages and pages of notes and lists and like ideas and, hey, this thing, that thing that I want to get done. And a lot of it's like, oh, by the time I get to it, like, oh, that's been solved or I don't understand what I even wrote down there. And it's, it's funny, like I've moved on. I'm able to get to some of it. I think the most interesting thing about what you have over there with the, just the amount of data and I mean, the data scientists, the minds that you have is you talked about, you know, some of the things with Otani and some of the other players you mentioned in the example, and we get to that on the deep dive a lot. Drew and I, and just with other people in conversations, context, 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 like, you know, we need context because numbers are lying to us here. And, you know, if you look at this just at face value, you're going to come up with some incorrect conclusions. And a lot of times we put context to something, but we're doing it subjectively just to the best of our ability like hey we have to know that that you know that the right tackle was out for the whole game and we have to take these numbers for a grain of salt but that's as far as we're able to go with it you know i can't actually uh maybe i could honestly maybe i'm doubting myself but to be able to take take that a couple steps further and do the reason and actually get empirical evidence or some sort of stat based 
you know, how much did that affect the run scheme? How much did that affect the quarterback? How much that did that affect the play calling? Like, you know, do we have enough with the data you have today in, in the NFL and what you guys have too, it's just, you know, how much can you actually glean from that and then use that going forward? It's a brave new world. It's so much different, right? So like you think about the, you know, the most successful public sort of betting system for football, you know, let's say a decade ago was the Massey Peabody, right? And I think, I feel like the Massey Peabody did a great job of, of correcting for the overcorrection people had for individual players, right? Because that model, except for quarterback, was very team, was very at the team level. And it took play-by-play data, did a good job of normalizing it, did a good job of weighing it, and produced numbers that were better than the market because I think the market overcorrected for player injuries. They would overcorrect for a player being out, like a running back being out or a left guard being out. And we sort of swung in the other direction, right? Where nowadays, I think anybody can basically, anybody can build a, a ELO system or a, or a um, you know, a team level metric that, you know, R squared with the Vegas line, like 0.85, right? And, and it's that extra 15%, which is like, well, the left guard's out for this particular team. And so like, let me give you guys a good example. So one of the things I've, I've found, and, and a lot of this is actually like trying, because I, I, Andy, I don't actually think like we're that, like to that degree yet, where it's like okay. this left guard and this scheme means this much. I think we could say this left guard and this scheme is worth this, or like is, is this good, you know? But like, but sample size are so small. Like we legitimately have, 18 games in a Brandon Staley defense to work off of, you know, and we do have plays, you know, there are a lot of plays, but still a relatively small sample football, very much a wide data set and not a deep data set at this point. Hmm. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But like what we can do, I think is sort of think about, okay, what are, what are key performance indicators and how do they evolve over time? Cause I do think that is the frustration, right? Like you build up these ideas about football. And over time, football evolves. And that's what makes it beatable, I think, but it makes it frustrating. So, like, you know, three years ago, no one was talking about how much motion mattered, right? And, you know, you didn't have teams that were running 50% of their plays involving motion. And you couldn't just draw a graph. And it's simple stuff. If you just draw a graph of points for and motion rate, it's noisy, but it's, it's increasing. If you look at the defensive side of the ball and look at stunt rate versus points against, again, it's noisy because you have to have players, but it's a decreasing trend line. And like just even getting to that point where it's like which teams are giving themselves a chance, you know, to me, I think is like the next great world, which is, you know, can you model player value? We can do a pretty decent job of that. Now I think the best people are doing that really well. Can you also find the nooks and crannies to that override the player strengths? Because that's really like what makes football fun, it, you know, over a sport that I think is maybe a little bit more defined like basketball, right? Where it's less variance, more dependent on strong ties. Football, it's sort of this players matter, scheme can overcome that. And then, you know, and, and it's very nonlinear. Nonlinear is a good way to put it. 
uh, all of these concepts are things that I wanted to talk about today. So I, I could go in like a dozen different directions. Yeah, you asked yourself all the questions. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's stick with uh, kind of the idea of player level modeling versus team level modeling and try to kind of talk through, you know, first of all, if anyone's not familiar, um, you know, if you just take DVOA from Football Outsiders, you have a very good head start in terms of team strength. And you can put together, like you said, a composite team evaluation that gets you damn close to the Vegas number, right? But it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be some things that you're missing and you know for sure if you have a bunch of team level data and it includes you know an all pro guard in there and you have a quarterback who needs interior pass pro to be his best self and that guard happens to be out for this next game and you don't know exactly what to do with that information then you're kind of stuck and you just got to either pass the game or you end up making a bad bet because you see line value when it's you know when the market has adjusted for the fact that that guy may be out and so at some point in maybe i don't know maybe two years ago it kind of dawned on me you know, like, man, I can't go with the team-based approach alone. I need some compatible, you know, numbers yep. here to at least just, I need to need, need a Z-score for basically every player on the field to tell me, like, you know, it, you know, is this guy going to move the needle or not? Um, and, you know, try to, and, and try to make it quantitative in some way. But it ultimately comes down to just you know, kind of synthesizing in a mental model what the, uh, you know, what the impact of a player would be, you know, in or out, you know, would mean. I mean, great example, Ali Marpet out for the Bucks last year, going playing up against the Saints in primetime. And I, I don't think that was the only reason I loved the Saints in that game, but it sure felt like that was the reason that the Buccaneers never had a chance. <laughs> and it was like, you, you know, like if you have sort of, you know, specific weak links that you think, uh, you know, no matter how good a player level model or even a team level model can capture, uh, you know, that are sort of, you know, fuses, for lack of a better word, identified, you know, ahead of time, then, you know, can, you can kind of sidestep some of that, that um, are, is there, in your experience, at least, is there any other major strength or reason to kind of more heavily weight a player based approach versus a team level model at this point in time in the NFL? Yeah, they're better, right? I mean, like the the I think everybody, I think most people should try to ensemble models. So I think so. Like for us, for example, or even like stuff I do internally, like when I'm when I'm doing, I have a broad model, right? And then I have so take like win probability for example. Like a lot of times, folks who do win probability models will will predict we using like a machine learning model, some sort of like XG boost or some sort of model. And they'll do it what's called top down, which is essentially give me the play structure. I'm going to give you the, the probability of winning that game at that time. And the, the appeal of that is that the error is bounded, right? The error is not going to be that big. Um, you have the strength of sample size on your side. And so you leverage that. The problem with a model like that and a problem with a model like that when it is a problem with a model like that when it is at in sports betting is that sometimes that that bounded area you have is not good enough. Right. Like sports betting is the classic example that if you say something's 54 and it's 52, you're fucked. Right. Like that, that's the issue. Right. And, and 2% is 2% is not that big of an error. You know, and if I'm doing a broad, if I'm helping Chris with a broadcast in NBC and our, you know, the, the graphic says 72% when Tampa is really 70% to win, it's not a big deal. Right? It's qualitatively fine and it works. Right. But what if you're end of game, 
right? And you're the Ravens, and the Ravens are a run-first team, and they and that, that thing compounds, right? So not only are do you have a better run game than other teams, but you drain off more time than other teams, and, and so on and so forth. Then maybe something like a simulation or a bottoms-up approach works. The problem with bottoms-up approaches, and this is true in football. It was true when I was uh, working in biology. The problem with bottoms-up approaches is that errors compound. And so if you make an error in your evaluation of left guard, then you make an error in your evaluation of offensive line, and then you make your, an error in your evaluation of quarterback, and then you make – and so like every – and so you can see the appeal of a top-down a top approach is that you can bound the error and you sort of know this. So that the best way to do this is to use the best, best of both worlds, right, which is to, you know, have – team level. And so for us, like you try to find a bunch of things that point in different directions, right? So EPA points in one direction. We talked about CPOE a second ago, but like maybe you have a model that's literally just the strength of the two quarterbacks and how that, you know, it is in the Vegas spread. Sometimes you have a model that is completely player-based, you know, using PFF grades or however you want to do it. Um, sometimes you have a model that's just ELO, right? Cause ELO can get you right. If your other four models are pointing in the, in the wrong direction, ELO is sort of right on market, then you have to, have to ask yourself who's wrong. And like, that's essentially, you know, the, the idea of the James Swarkey, the, the wisdom of the crowds, you know, we think about, okay, the wisdom of the crowds works the best when it's a bunch of independent people voting on something. You sort of take that in a math sense and say, okay, if I have, let's say six or seven independent models and I produce numbers with their models, and then I, and then I have another model on top of that, that ensembles them and knows how to weight them. And then, then I get my number that way. To me, that's the best approach because I think that it's going to deal, it's going to avoid overfitting the best. It's going to deal with errors the best, but in some circumstances, it's also going to find that like sort of corner in the data where, which is what you're talking about, which is New Orleans defensive line is amazing. They're two standard deviations better than average and have depth. And Tampa's the offensive line is now below league average because of this one play. That difference, right, can scoot you off of a key number and actually get you to make a bet. That checks out. A real quick follow-up. You're basically saying kind of rebuild the market in, of, in and of itself because that is what we have at the end of the day. You know, the, the bookmakers are shaping these prices based on, you know, action. And the action is derived by people who are coming up with their own numbers in all these different ways. And so any kind of market price really reflects the weighted average of 10,000 opinions. And they've all gotten to their opinions in different, you know, through different avenues. And the bookmaker is weighting everybody's opinion based on how good they are at predicting games. You know, so it, it does. You're basically saying, you know, build an ensemble that kind of recreates market in general. Um, but also, if you have that before the market gets to its fair price, then you know directionality, which way it's going. That's one of the more valuable mm -hmm. tools you can have as a sports better. That and that's too, like just the honestly, anyone who hasn't read that, Surowiecki, is that how you say it? I'm not great with his name. I feel like I, I sort of I, I glued all the, the vowels together to, to give myself. It's like I, I, I topped down Surowiecki. Surowiecki, I'm not 100. It's called the. Andy, I top down the name, so I have air. I bound yeah, it. Top, top down the name. Either the book is called uh, just Wisdom of the Crowd, but some of the stuff, even just you'll see anecdotal, uh, tons of articles. You'll see anecdotal examples from that book used everywhere, as far as like, you know, the the people, the, all the farmers trying to guess how heavy a cow was 
at the fair. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of shitty guesses, but in the end, if you took the average, it was like a couple pounds off. And I mean, and, and you take that, that, which is just kind of a, I don't know, what, what would you call that? Like a mathematical, just how, how, how things work out. Yeah. And you take that and then you put people on the other side of it, like the people that are risk managing this, that are actually able to, to wait the guesses and make it even sharper. Like, yeah, it's, that is, you know, how this, these markets become so efficient so quickly because the wisdom of the crowd is awful smart eventually. Well, and I know, and I know it can be toxic, but that's why you guys talk about having a network, right? Because the, the, the person in your network who you might not get along with is probably the best person you want to be aggregating your opinions with, because, you know, you like that we just, we just recorded Chris's podcast earlier today. And me and George were like, we had the same pick on like all but one game. And Chris was making fun of us. And I'm like, I mean, George and I have been talking about these games for five months now. Like, of course <laughs> yeah. we like at this we point in time, like, we've yeah. whittled down yeah. our differences and we've convinced each other and we've come to consensus. And consensus is great, but you do need, like in life, you need people who will disagree with you. You need, and in the mark, and like, that's also like one of the reasons, in my opinion, I believe like, we are not necessarily as wise as we were in camps now, right? Like, you know, we don't have 330 million independent opinions in this country. We have two, you know, and so we're going to come to a weaker consensus that way. And I think that the same thing's true in sports betting, where I think that that's why, you know, in, in like, unlike most communities, I think the community does embrace different opinions because the different opinions have been shown to be valuable. And even though you might not agree with somebody on X, Y, and Z or an X, Y, and Z components of their life, you do agree with their opinion betting sports because it's going to have value. And I think models are the same way. Like I, so for example, I built a coaching model that basically on a play for play level says, how good are the players on the field? what would you expect the EPA to be on that play? And what was the EPA on that play? And how frequent did the play happen? I don't want to really count Hail Marys and stuff like that all that often. And that model, basically, when you look at the Vegas spread, can you know uh, account for 40% of the variance in the Vegas spread, which is very low compared to other things. But I keep it in the ensemble because it has... It, it, yeah. It'll point out Andy Reid. It'll point out Kyle Shanahan when the you know point out Joe Brady, the cover master last year, and stuff like that. Where it's I don't I'm never gonna go I'm never gonna bet based on that model, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw its opinion in there because there are gonna be some cases like if that if like look like the Jets the Jets were a team that everybody was betting on last year, and I'm not gonna say I wasn't on them a lot, but like. But having Adam Gase be the worst coach in football and having that hand raised every every time you run your model, like that's that can't hurt. What uh, one more kind of thought before moving into some of the inter- more interesting NFL stuff uh, on the team level versus player level stuff? I feel like I have seen, and Andy keeps giving me shit for the Browns because they've been mushed or whatever. But there's there's not not everybody on the Browns, not everybody. In fact, there's a clear. I don't split, believe in mushes, like. Gucci's. There- I've heard people make cases that the Browns will not make their win total this year. Okay. And they're using reasons like Pythag from last year and, you know, some stuff that I would say, okay, yeah, that's definitely predictive. Sure. Um, But it's, but underlying sort of the, the, the camp that I would say is somewhat cool on the Browns are people that are largely looking at team level 
concepts as opposed to I feel like anyone who's dug into what they did with that roster and has kind of fair grades on those players is like, this is the second best, maybe third, second or third, depending on how you feel about some of the defensive players of the Chiefs. This is the second or third best roster in the NFL now. And, you know, they don't, you don't really need like a meaningful step forward from the quarterback to be better. Like they're just going to be better (laughs) and they have good coaching. You know, like there's a lot of good, you know, small things if you are trying to ensemble. And I guess, do you, have you noticed that same sort of sense where people who are, you know, not seeing it are, they're just not looking granularly enough and, or am I kind of going too hard down the player level road here yeah. and missing, you know, missing the forest for the trees? You, what, you the and the trees? Both, whatever that saying is. Yeah. We always mix that one up. And I was going to say real quick on the Browns too. We made some decent cases that the Browns should have won more games last year. Yeah, like that, but you could say that about a lot of teams, though. I, you know, I, 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 I know, but yeah, yeah. There, there was some, there was some goofiness with their season as well. There's a lot. Of, their, their season had more context to be taken a look at than a lot of other ones. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> they had four games where you can almost throw the data out, right? Sure. So they had three yeah. straight home games where the weather was really prohibitive to doing anything, and. That were games where they could have won the game by multiple scores to offset the games they lost by multiple scores to Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore, right? Like there, there's aspects there. There's also the Jets game where they didn't have any wide receivers. So again, like I think those games. So here's a, here's an interesting perspective. I think actually, that, right? hang, hang real real quick before because I, I want to hear your perspective. But doesn't it matter more that the at the end of the season the gap between Pittsburgh and Baltimore and Cleveland was virtually zero. It does much more than the gap at the beginning of the season. But that, but and that, and that's part of the like. No one. Imagine trying to explain this. Imagine trying to explain EPA multiplied by e to the minus alpha t. Yes. Right. Yes. Like that's really yes. how you're doing this, right? Sure. You yes. aggregate EPA, and you're like, oh, Cleveland wasn't even that great of an EPA team. It's like, yeah, but you're counting week one. Week one doesn't yeah. freak, like it matters. But it doesn't matter that much, right? Did you not it's, watch it's, the best game of the NFL season on Monday Night Football between the Browns and the and the Ravens? Are you really telling me that there was more than a field goal separating those teams? No freaking way. Yeah, only Baker thought that when he gave up the safety at the end to screw wow. all our bets. But yeah, the, the, oh, <laughs> I forgot That's not compelling oh, to me. Yeah. Like you guys notice every once in a while, I'll post these pictures of scheme graphs. And yes. people are always like, explain, please. And I'm like, no. If, like, if, <laughs> if you're like, this is for my own enjoyment. And I, and if you, if you, you know, like, I'm not telling you how to do this. I'm just like posting something I find interesting. But because I feel like the explanation piece is important, but like the rules of, th- like, this, we're still so, we're still so in the explainability is most, is the best content. But explainability does not is not the best way to win, you know, if you're trying to bet on teams and stuff. And, and that was sort of like the um, uh, that that graph that uh, Mina Kimes talked about on on NFL Live. Right? I told my intern, I was like, look, if you can make things explainable, people will like them more. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the, they have the best information, right? So he tweeted out the whole like the expected points on Jameis's interceptions is really low, meaning, meaning he's only throwing interceptions in desperation time. And that's like interesting, but not necessarily carrying with it the context that I, that it needs, right? Like 
if you have ex low expected point situations, it might be because you were ass on first and second down yourself. <laughs> yeah. You were creating the expectations being low and, and et cetera, right? Like, but you're right. Like the most elementary thing it's like is Rivera's to say second coach of the year. Week one is e to the minus 17 e to the minus 17 times some constant less valuable or more as valuable, I guess, as week 17, right? And sometimes week 17 doesn't matter because you're, no one's yeah. playing starters. Like there's all this context that I think if you sort of shake it down a little bit and then also look at like where were the Browns weak last year? They were weak in weakling systems. And then they go get Troy Hill, Jeremiah Wusakoramora, Grant Delpit, and John Johnson. And then they go at a strong link system and get a guy who has extremely high ceiling in Jadavian Clowney. I, 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 yeah, I agree with you. And I think that last season, you know, they, they played a playoff game without their head coach. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know, they did. I, I, I think I mean, I, we have more projected wins for Cleveland than we do Baltimore. And I think it's because Baltimore is Baltimore's weak link on offense and defense. And, and that's hard to win with. Yeah, no, that's a very that, that kind of goes to the, the the question that I posed to you in the chat earlier today. And I mean, I feel like you almost almost nailed it already. But I think that is the biggest thing that once people start looking at, I mean, just like PFF player grades, and that's the sort of stuff. And my camera has done a thing where my hair is like purple now. That's awesome. But uh, once once people go to player grades, um, and they start looking at, it, they're like, oh, that's fine and dandy, but like. Um, I mean, let's talk about the Rams because we talked about them yesterday. And you start really, like, yeah, Aaron Donald's player grade is super high. And that's the problem I originally had with like player grades is like, yes, you have a really, really good player, but he's also part of a positional group who is part of a defense or an offense who is part of a scheme that is run by several men on the, you know, calling it from the box and stuff too. And it just, it turns into a, a much bigger problem than this guy's a 92. You know, mm -hmm. it, it is, and uh, you know, how do you, how do you, how are you starting to marry some of that stuff? And I, I know that's just, you know, maybe power ratings need to be kind of something separate from a player. I know, I know people do that. People take, I have a, a player level model and I have a team level model and I just kind of marry the two and weight them how I need it and do some, you know, do some rejiggering there with some of the context as well. But I think I, that's the biggest thing I get into with when people start talking about that. People have asked that question, like, yeah, he's really good, but does it matter when you are dealing with a, you know, what's that true? I'm going to add to this with the specific example. And it's Josh Allen last year and his quarterback grade, right? Josh Allen's quarterback grade last year was amazing. He's an amazing player expectations for him this season are high although looking at his mvp prices his you know his season long props they're not out of bounds like they they look spot on market is on to this there's not a there's no bet to be made in my opinion um but his success was really born out of some combination of the weapons they put around him the scheme he was in and then his own personal talent level which can be measured, you can use sort of like the, the stats bomb plot if you want in terms of what his skills were. And, you know, they were all great except for accuracy and he fixed that one and now he's out, now he's like, it covers everything, right? And I guess if you just take, because we know this, you took, you know, look, Tom Brady's a great example too. You took him on the Patriots with no weapons. He was, he looked like mm -hmm. his career was over. You put him on the Bucks with the best weapons in the world and, you know, and at the beginning of the season, when the scheme that didn't fit him, it still wasn't great. But by the end of the season, he was back at like all pro level. 
like the way you would grade him, right? And so I guess if you're going to try to marry these concepts and to come up with like a, an actual, like a quarterback performance grade, like EPA per play reflects all of this stuff, right? And you can't, you, you know, you're not going to fall on your expected number just based on talent alone if your weapons aren't there. And similarly, if, you're, uh, if your coaching isn't there, right? Um, do you have some concept of how to distribute those, you know, from a, a contribution standpoint? Yeah, I, to answer sort of the first like point, I agree with what you guys say 100%. Like I don't, look, like we have a, <laughs> we, we're a company with many tentacles and there's, there's an aspect where the average football fan just wants to see one of their players and a stat on that player. And like, we give that to them. Sure. I try my best as a messenger not to say, not to be like, this means this when it doesn't mean that. And I think that that's important because as you guys have, have pointed out, like that can lead you astray if you don't have the proper context. I think, you know, and, and this is sort of, you know, I, this, this sort of gets to where you really do have to try your best and it's impossible to do so. And it changes over time, but you have to do your best to, normalize by context and then be able to fold that context back in. And, and that's the, really the hardest thing. So take like Justin Herbert, for example. So like Justin Herbert had a 99 pass, like I'm going to use pass rating just because, uh, you know, I, I remember it, but all the same is true about the statistics too. He had a 99 pass rating last year when under pressure, he had a 97, I believe when clean. And we know that passer rating or any other statistic when pressured is extremely noisy. It's the, it's the batting average on balls in play for quarterback play in the NFL. And the other stuff is sort of three outcomes. However, Herbert was pressured more than any quarterback in all of football. And so the question becomes, okay, and again, this is too simple because all of these other things have – tentacles to them that you can also normalize for but just let's just assume the only thing you knew about a quarterback was pressure clean like you have to make a projection about how that new offensive line is going to lower that pressure rate and then you can't be so silly as to say well herbert's going to stay the same when clean and and just add a humongous noise term or just call him league average when pressured like that's going to cause herbert to be a quarterback 20 this year yeah right? you have to factor in that well, being clean more often probably makes you better at it. Being a second-year player probably makes you better at being a clean pocket passer, although they're adding a new offensive coordinator, so that adds a wrinkle to it. I'm still on the Herbert might regress side because of that. But, like, you have to take – you have to untangle the context, right? Look at how the quarterback played when everything is stripped down. But then you have to pile the context back in, and I think that's what sometimes what people don't do. So take CPOE, for example. CPOE says strip away everything down distance separation uh you know what kind of lead you have I don't remember what goes in exactly all the CPOE models and then take how he did over expected and that's his number but then if a guy like Kirk Cousins ranks second in that and you're not then telling me oh yeah Kirk puts himself in these shitty positions so that his his completion percentage expected completion percentage is low and you try to use that in a betting model, you're going to lose because you don't have that context put in there. The, the best way to say it is to say, okay, let's strip away all the stuff he can't control, but let's try to find a model for that. 
so that we can know what to add that to. And to me, that's like what it would miss, for example, about a Mahomes. Like the fact is, is, you know, when, when, when Tage and those guys were doing the CPOE settling it with our charting data, it's like plot the expected completion percentage. That's going to tell you a lot. That's going to tell you about the circumstances that either he or his coach is putting him in for you to even evaluate from. And that's the important thing. And I think, you know, like, let's say you have a PFF elite subscription, you just have the player grades. I, we are adding a lot of context in there. So, for example, if you want to bet interception props, we have turnover with a play rate, which is a way better way yeah. of modeling that. But, like, you really do in many ways have to get to the play-by-play level to really strip away context so that you can avoid some of the errors that Andy was talking about, which is just looking at it and saying, that guy's a 92, right? Because, you know... Orlando Brown on the Ravens is going to be a different player than Orlando Brown on the Chiefs. I'll just say that. What a great segue because yeah. I want to put so, your hold, Chiefs hold on up the hot quick seat. back to the. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll we'll get to your Chiefs, but the and the, the Herbert thing when we when we both ran into that as we did our Chargers preview, we both had that like, hey, yeah. his splits don't make sense, and then you know the next step I take in my head is like, could that be noise? And then you say, Andy, it's a whole season a whole season of snaps could that be and then it's like yeah it could like yes. that's and and that is like the biggest underlying problem that we're all running to with all well, of this is like legitimately in an, an entire even with some context thrown in you still have those numbers spit out and it's like is he really is this what's going to happen versus pressure and and you know non-pressure and you have a whole season and a whole season sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. And it, it, it makes forward forecasting on a guy like him. And you mentioned all the wrinkles we're throwing at him again with the coaching staff and, you know, maybe some new systems down there. Like it makes it really, really difficult to forward forecast somebody like him. Well, and just to our main job, oh, I would say half our job at PFF is consulting with teams. And I would say to me, the biggest team level problem in football analytics is, is not drafting QBs. I actually think you can make the draft, which quarterback you draft more trivial than people want to make it out to be because of the, the edge you get and how much you pay him or how little you pay him. The biggest problem in football is deciding whether a guy who's been good on his rookie deal is actually good. Like to me and, and, you know, Mitchell Schwartz had that tweet where he said, Oh, third and six, you know what a guy is. And I looked at it and I took three years of third and six plays and it wasn't even a full season's worth of dropbacks. Like, again, we're dealing with sample size and and that was not even throwing out anything else. I was just looking at down to distance. So if we wanted to stra- throw away like things like, you know, uh, behind by a there certain. There could have been a kneel down on third and six. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. If we wanted to put in act, like you're probably talking about 200 dropbacks dropbacks. And I think for us, like, do you imagine if you were evaluated as a sports better based on like no you know like stuff like that it's like wish 200. we are it's really a tough thing right and yeah. like even like i think i know that patrick mahomes is good no matter what but i there's still error bounds around that yes and and i okay. think with herbert's like with or josh allen you know it, it it's tough it's really yeah. tough okay let's let's pretend and i'm not saying these are my weights but let's just pretend that the ensemble of your quarterback expectation for the season is born out of 40 percent talent level of the quarterback 30 percent the scheme he's in 20 percent the weapons he has around him and then 10 percent the protection right i think we can all acknowledge that with the chiefs right now nine the 90 percent has always been perfect around chiefs and Mahomes. the protection which is the smallest piece of the pie 
fell apart in the Super Bowl. And it feels like the organization reacted to just one game in terms of all of their offseason decision making, which we've seen a lot through history in the NFL. You look at your last loss, whatever you know, it was an important loss, yeah. and you're like, what did we do wrong? Let's go fill all those holes because you know you're fighting the last war you lost, right? And it did to me at least seem somewhat foolish because for Mahomes, if an average quarterback 10% matters for protection with Mahomes, it's smaller than that because out of structure is where he does the most damage to you, I feel yeah. like. And if you if your protection goes from you know, as long as it's above the Mendoza line, and I've been using the Mendoza line a lot for You've lots of different so things, today. but That's like, funny. there's sort of like a, there's a line where as long as it's at least meets this bare minimum, then everything functions correctly, goes below, then you have the Super Bowl outcome where everybody says, well, it was the protection that failed, obviously, right? And that all happens a lot on run with run defense as well. And we'll get into that in a minute. But as long as it meets a bare minimum, why do you care? Why not invest more of your resources in pieces to put around him? And, you know, like if you have league average protection for Mahomes on every single snap this season, but you have a second and third option that can create separation down the field, my ceiling for the my my median expectation for the Chiefs offense is higher. My, my ceiling is like all time yeah. great. Right. Do you like, am I on the right trail here? And do they deserve some criticism for the fact that all of their resources went, really went into the pass pro? The Orlando Brown decision certainly deserves criticism. Um, the Joe Tooney one deserves criticism as good as he is. And to Andy's point, like he's a 90 grade. Right. But that doesn't mean you should be given the bag. And like that doesn't mean you're <laughs> some capitalist like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're you're a nihilist for like you know wanting not him not to be paid right like like sure. there are constraints here. I think this is your head is where my head's at. The issue I think one of the issue where the Chiefs came up is there weren't that many great options available in free agency. They tried their hardest at Juju. They made Juju a better offer than the Steelers did. He turned him down. They they lost by, on Josh Reynolds by a hundred thousand dollars. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that, that, that was, and again, it's sort of one of those things where it's like, Hey, Eric, you know, can you clean the dishwasher? And then I'm bad at it on purpose. And then you never ask me again. Like there, there might be something like that where like the, the, the chiefs tried at wide receiver, but really they wanted. And so in that regard, like, I think that they overpaid now the thing about the chiefs. And I think this is going to be frustrating if you root for any other team in the NFL. They have made, they have had their success, three straight AFC title games at home, two Super Bowls, one win, despite drafting like awful for the last three years. Like if you look at their drafts, in addition to just like dumping picks on a guy like Frank Clark, they just have not done well in the draft. And weirdly, the Mahomes contract is so team friendly that I think one of the things that the Chiefs were thinking about with doing this was, this is what Pat wants. And Pat has already given us a certain amount of surplus value just from the contracts itself that we're going to pay it back a little bit because these are negative EV moves. Spending that much money on a guard is negative EV. Spending that draft capital and then not like pay, not securing Orlando Brown to a contract, leaving that open is a very bad decision in my opinion. But Do you think ultimately Trey Smith ends up better than Joe Thune? 
Well, that's what I'm, and so, so in, in weird Chiefs fashion, what ends up happening is they get two offensive linemen who are going to be on rookie deals who beat out veterans. And then if you count Lucas Niang, who's on the first year of his rookie deal, last year he would have been a rookie, but he sat out because of COVID. In a weird way, if you overspend at left tackle, left guard, but then you somehow hit on center, right guard, right tackle on rookie deals for four years of cost control, it almost works out in the wash. And if that happens for the Chiefs, it, like it's a humongous stroke of luck that they probably don't deserve. And it might overcome a multitude of sins here, but the process wasn't the greatest. It's amazing what, I mean, the, the two most important positions in the field, quarterback and head coach, probably. Not close either. Going, and it's not close. And then you start going to linemen, but like, it's amazing what just absolutely being super blessed in both those, what, like you said, I like how you phrased it, overcoming a multitude of sins, like that will absolutely do it. And I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's almost the Patriots model, even though you don't feel like <laughs> the chiefs and the, the chiefs now and the Patriots of yesterday, it's hard. Like those aren't, you know, comparable outside of the success, but like, yeah, they had a really, really high end coach with a really good coaching staff and a really, really good quarterback. And they really didn't draft well for many, many years. They had some nice trades. Like you can definitely give them credit for fleecing the Raiders uh, a multitude of times again, but like it, it did hide a lot of the sins. Like people didn't give a shit that the Patriots couldn't draft. And the Patriots, honestly, it was kind of almost part of their philosophy where they just, they were like, we're just going to take a bunch of shots. It doesn't matter because we have the rest of this figured out and we don't think it's a big part of the equation. But yeah, it'll be, That'll be something too. If, if honestly, if you're, if you're like a fan of anyone else in the AFC West, this kind of has to piss you off. <laughs> this is just like yeah, working out. It's, it's like when you hear the numbers for like, this is how much billionaires made while the stock market tanked. Out, outside of injury, is there something about the Chiefs that you think could unwind their season? Yeah, there's two actually. And I, this is the first time since the Mahomes era where I think they can win with defense. Like I actually think, and when they did the Tooney thing and they did the Orlando Brown thing, I would, and they didn't draft a corner. I was like, they're going to be not deep here. And I can imagine, you know, they lose a Super Bowl game because they have, let's say, a ton of injuries in the secondary. And then next year they do the same thing. They sign every defensive back that's available. And like, again, playing whack-a-mole with their roster. The, their approach of like going after sort of like wounded first round picks like DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes, like in a weird way has sort of saved them here. Like I actually think they have good corner depth, um, but the two places where they could be really hurt is edge, right? Frank Clark is a ticking time bomb on and off the field. He was terrible last season on the field. Um, they don't really have somebody that can compliment him out. They're moving Chris Jones out to edge because they actually have really good interior players. Um, so maybe that curbs it a little bit. I, I uh, Andy, you'll like this. I always sort of compare that to John Randall. Like John Randall was such an amazing interior player. And when the Vikings like sloughed off the defensive line for a decade, they just like moved John Randall wherever like they sucked. And like that would like sort of do the trick. And that was, I think that's what they're doing with Jones here. So that's one edge. And then number two wide receiver. Like I don't know who they're – like I don't think McCole Hardman's it. I don't think Demarcus Robinson's it. They just cut Cornell Powell, who they took in the fifth round, to sort of uh, try to shore that up, especially in the red zone, where they're actually a little worse than they should be. Um, to, so those two, to me, are, are the big ones. Yeah, T. Higgins over – Clyde Edwards Hilaire all of a sudden looks like it would have been. It, well, and yeah. even, but you look at the – you look at the team, the Ravens, the team that we think is really sharp – 
also went linebacker, running back in the first two rounds of that same draft. And it, it goes to show, like, no team, whether it's the Ravens or Chiefs, are good enough to make those kind of picks. Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and the, the second wide receiver part, too, we got stuck on that a little. It's like, oh, McCole Hardman, had, it was nice. It was a nice preseason, but does that translate? Like, is he a legit number two guy in a, you know, it, people shit on Sammy Watkins and that hurts my heart because like he legitimately has a place in a really good, on a really good offense. And he does a lot of things, right? It's just Sammy Watkins. Yeah, had, you go. Yeah. But, Sammy Watkins had three playoff games over 90 yards receiving in, in 18 and 19. Like he was, he was exactly what they paid him for. And again, that's the difference. When you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, you can overpay for Sammy Watkins, right? You can lay, I, I always think about these in terms of bets. When your, just a rookie, when your quarterback's a rookie deal guy, right, the parlay is a bunch – you can parlay the other half of that card with a bunch of minus 400s, right? Yeah. So, like – but, you know, when your quarterback's Kirk Cousins, he might be a minus 300, but the rest of the roster, you're parlaying even money bets, and they're, that's going to lose as a bet. So, like, that's, that's kind of how I think – and Watkins was a minus 300 to be – good enough when you needed him and that was exactly what he was in most cases and that's okay, that's where going going second wide receiver by committee is just something that it's like oh all these guys can contribute a little it just never works yeah and it, it never works for a bunch of reasons we won't get into but yeah yeah i was about to say maybe let's, it'll let's, work for us have, um we, yeah maybe yeah. it'll work for us we have a lot yeah we're just let's clear out some, clear out a spot in like october or november we gotta have you back <laughs> through this whole list well, let's, let's pivot to coaching real quick because I'm curious what your current Yeah, I want to hit on this one for sure. In general, right now, I'm almost only looking really at offensive scheme and trying to kind of dial that part of my understanding about these staffs in. And there's there's a good amount right now that are in no man's land of we don't really know yet because they just haven't you know actually put anything on tape, so we just don't know. Um, but of the ones that we do know, there's kind of an elite group, the Dables of the world, where you know that they're going to pat, they're, you know they're going to do everything plus EV in terms of sequencing. You know that they have, uh, you know, a, they're they're not going to take their foot off the gas in game. You know, teams that I would comfortably lay touchdown more against the bad passing defenses in the NFL. And then you have kind of a cluster of teams where you're like, okay, these are good coaching staffs. They use play action effectively. They, uh, you know, they're not running often on early downs or putting themselves in minus EV positions, but they tend to kind of lose it a little bit once they have a lead or, uh, you know, they, they get a little conservative with the lead or, if they, you know, they just, you know, the, I would almost put Shanahan really in this category, you know, a guy that didn't really have a concept of how many points he needed to score to win the Super Bowl either time he's been there. Um, but then and he then also have, waited until year five as I had coach to get a real quarterback like yeah, that, that also uh, sure. it's part of the it's part of the <laughs> equation for me sure and then uh and then there's like a tier of guys who you're like they, we know they don't have it <laughs> right yeah. and then there's the unknowns right um how do you take what we do know about coaching and you know this these grew different groups and and then for you know put that into some sort of uh handicapping approach yeah, I mean, the I told you guys about sort of what I do on a play level for coaching effectiveness, which is take the grade the players. How did you do? How did you do above expectation? To me, like that shows like I'm on the Jets this year, and I it's because Robert Salah actually graded better for me last year than he did in the Super Bowl year. You look at that defense is fairly good, despite the fact that no one was left on it, and they had a tough schedule of teams they played played against. And for the most part, they got rolled by Buffalo. 
but Buffalo is a great offense. They did well. And so he's not calling plays in New York, but I'm sort of thinking this is a guy that elevates the player. Like I sort of think about it as, you know, does he get what you expect out of the players? Does he elevate or does he detract? And like, so that's one way. And those go just in regular math models as these numbers. And, you know, they're kind of like there's Z scores in some ways, you know, like, like you're talking about. Um, and they're very much of the EPA ilk where if you're positive, you're good. If you're negative, you're bad. Then there's what I call scheme uniqueness is what I use. So um, basically what I'll do is, is I'll take the swath of like scheme data we have. So think about percentage of time you run 21 personnel, percentage of time you run play action, percentage of the time it, defensively, let's say you show the same coverage that you play or on play pre-snap. It's actually a very, like it's the play action of defense. I take those and I put it what, through what's called principal component analysis, basically saying that like the coaches that do one smart thing will often do a lot of other smart things. You don't want to triple count it. So you, you put it through that and then you say, okay, how far away from the middle are you? And again, some people are far away from the middle for being dog shit, but generally speaking, like most of the people who are far away from the middle are sort of like reaching for new things. And that carries some signal, it, you know, it's a percent or two, but like I said before, like we're, we're working with a percent or two. Um, and so I combine those two things into what I work with. And that generally speaking is, it will point sometimes in a different direction what you think. And that's, and that's what you really want, right? If you're two points off the betting market and a coach is two points worse, like that you want that back to the market and it'll tell you not to bet it because you know, that that's an important part. So that's kind of how I do it from a, from just like a modeling perspective where I'm running the algorithm every single week and it spits out a number. This is one of the, that, that's how I come up with that kind of number. Okay. Any fairness to Thanks. guys who are like fighting for their jobs and make, they make, you know, compounding error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get, you're probably double counting on that too. Like for nagging things. Yeah, I actually haven't looked that deeply, but I, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good question. Because um, I it's weird. Like I can't remember who said this. I mean, it might have been it might have been I'm trying to think of the betting podcast it was. Maybe it could it could have been Suma. I think who was talking about you know big point spreads, and it was like ten years ago you could bet on humongous underdogs because coaches were more yeah. likely. And we give coaches shit now because they don't, they make bad decisions. But even back, way back in the day, you had coaches kicking field goals down four, you know, with two minutes left and playing defense. And it's like, no one does that anymore. But like, dogs are going to cover if coaches act that way more. Right. And so you get, there is maybe something to sort of like a John, not John Fox. That, that, that was a slip of the tongue but Vic Fangio, who I think is a lot like John Fox, who sure. this season is basically with his starting quarterback decision saying, we're going to lose a bunch of games, but we're going to cover a bunch of games, right? Like <laughs> that could be more of the model, whereas been against all season. Yeah. maybe John Gruden like doesn't give a shit about covering and he's just trying to win baby and like trying to score some points and he'll beat a Kansas city every once in a while, but he'll lose to a, He'll 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 not cover minus sixteen against. Uh, he'll never be minus sixteen, but he's not going to cover minus ten against you know New England last year or something like that. 
and the, again back to your point about how small those edges are that you're finding with like if you can find signal in anything it's it, you know the way this is done again it's tough because a lot of it the crux of it is just probably power numbers really but all those little nudges that you can get it just you know they can take you one way like if you start weighing little things like that and you know start if you don't build it already into your power numbers i suppose because some people do with that but it doesn't take a lot to to take a an almost bet to a bet if you have several different little nudges like that even if it is just you know a, a percentage or two here that this coach is just going to be making better decisions because if, if your number is close to being whatever threshold you set for I need this big of an edge to make this bet to overcome the big to win long term. And then on top of it, the coach kind of stinks. It's probably going to be for your benefit long term to just leave those alone. That That's exactly it, right? I mean, the, the big thing when you're trying to I, I feel like these extra sharpenings just take you off of bad bets more than they pull you towards good bets, I guess. Right. Because I, I feel like. For, for a bet, uh, for in a, and especially in a very liquid market like the NFL, you better, there better be like a number of reasons. You better, like, you, you let's say you have six models and five of them are dead nuts on the market. Then th there might be one that you're developing that no one, like, that isn't incorporated in like the wisdom of the crowds that is the betting market that can maybe push you towards a, towards a play. Like I, that could happen. But to me, I think there's more value in, let's say your five models are off by a half a point. And let's say that's three versus a three and a half. And you're like, oh, I'll bet the dog here. And then that that next model that you developed is in the intuition of the really sharp better. And you just haven't incorporated into your metrics yet. And it pulls you up to that three and a half and says, oh, I'm not betting this game. Like that, to me, I think that's maybe where the value is. Is like, there are plenty, like, I think of you guys, I think of Suma, I think, you know, the... Yeah, the people that bet football and it's like these people intuitively know things that I'm just like, it sounds su silly, but like sometimes I feel like analytics is just confirming the priors of people who have really freaking good intuition. And, you know, the stuff in Belichick's brain, I'm trying to codify right now. And if my, if my finding percentages here and there can get me off a bad bet, I think that's more valuable than it can getting me on a good bet. You think uh, real quick, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up and give you kind of three points to think about throughout the first half of the NFL season. And then we'll touch base with you mid-season or so, like Andy suggested, because there's a bunch of more stuff I wanted to cover. But uh, on Belichick. Yeah, we can do a damn daily segment with you, Jesus. Do you think uh, you think Belichick's going to be impacted at all by the retirement of old Ernie Adams' pink stripes? Well, the truth about Belichick, and I got filleted for this, but I, I put Belichick as my sixth best coach going into the year. Belichick has been not a woke fourth down guy for a decade. Yeah. Like, I think Belichick, so I, I have to sort of, I always have to come back to this football guy thing where I think, I think Pete Carroll is terrible tactically. But I think he's actually really good at getting players to play above and beyond where their baseline ability that, that is an absolute perfect characterization of like i and belichick i think is great at a number of things but like matt lafleur laps the guy 
on in-game decision. Now, the NFC Championship game notwithstanding, and I even think what I think happened in that game was that their analytics people just had a bad model. And and you don't, you know, the Deck Prism guys are super sharp and they agree with them. So there's very much a chance that their internals said kick a field goal down eight with a Hall of Fame quarterback from the 10 right outside the two-minute warning where the kick returner blundered and gave them that second. You know, like, I, I don't agree with it. But, like, I actually think that they were probably following analytics. I just think that that model was wrong. You know what I'm saying? I think Matt LaFleur laps a lot of, uh, you know, in-game stuff that Belichick does already. I I think John Harbaugh is a Hall of Fame coach already, and he was sort of second fiddle to Belichick. I think he's leapfrogged the guy in-game now. I think Andy is similar. Andy Andy Reid is not quite there on the fourth down stuff. But, man, does he evolve better than the league evolves. And so, like, I think Ernie Adams being gone will hurt. But I also think that, like, that influence of the in-game stuff has been waning for a while. Like, they just – I mean, there was that Sunday night game where they were favorites at Baltimore. And I don't know. We were out to lunch because Baltimore kicked their ass. But, like, in that game, they they kicked a field goal on fourth and one from Baltimore's four with like 30 seconds left in the first half. And they could have tied the game. Like they make those decisions way more now than they ever used to. And they made them with Brady. It's not just with Cam. It was Brady. And to me, I think Belichick is still a very plus coach, but I would not make him the coach anymore. Well, and why, why does that Lafleur? decision or whoever made it stick out so much when he was such a plus EV coach overall being aggressive. Why does it stick out? Because they lost a game. They lost a high profile game, a national television playoff game. Nobody's going to bring up all the other good decisions he made. And the same thing can be said for the Patriots. Like, why don't we dog on bill for this more? Because they win. Like they win despite despite this so it does get kind of hidden and you you don't have to dog you can't dog on bill belichick but like what well, how are we gonna rip on this guy he keeps winning all these super bowls well so yeah, was that but, him or brady but it, no and, and that no and that's the thing like it, I'm, I'm not saying if it's fair or not i'm not saying if it's right or not i'm saying that's the reasoning behind it yeah and it's crazy because i think bill has been okay evolving with other parts of the game over the years but i mean you're right and it's you wonder if this is just something that's coming eventually because you know watch out honestly if that because he's still obviously a dangerous coach with a good coaching staff and some talent on the roster yet but yeah it's it is interesting how much how big that's become now that we can and there's 10 different models that are decent you see out there but they're all fairly close. But now that you can actually quantify, like how much did this hurt you? I, I think that's got to be going across this desk somehow. And and now we can actually see like, Hey, the coaches are more than just the rah, rah cheerleader, get people to play up guys. Like if they are the final buck on these decisions that we can see are making huge, you know, huge relative swings to the game as far as their chance to win. Like, uh, I mean, it almost creates some fun accountability for, you know, anyone who's be able to have access to these numbers. I mean, imagine imagine playing Big Brother with your players, making them wear these stupid things to track their motions and tracking their eating and all this for a percent or two. And you're Mike Vrabel and you punt away seven win probability points against the Ravens in the, in the playoffs. Like, to like me, 70. that undermines your ability. Like, if I'm Harbaugh and I'm like, look, I'm at like I'm not ask I'm not only asking you to give me these percentages, but I'm giving them to you as well. 
Like, I think that that, that is a, a humongous thing. And when Belichick doesn't do that, I don't say it undermines him as much because, again, like what Andy said, is like Lafleur made a blunder in a high-profile situation. Belichick is still living off of the one decision he made in Indianapolis in 09 and, and you know, sort of being the darling of the community but like he has not maintained that i think he stayed mostly the same and the league has sort of grown away from him um yeah. and again you he can make that decision with out of aggressiveness of either he didn't make that fourth and two decision out of aggressiveness he made it out of i know we will lose if i give peyton manning the ball here or yeah. there it doesn't matter we cannot give him the ball or we will lose. Yeah. And and that was factually true. Yeah, and realistically, sharp. that's what LaFleur needed to be in that moment, which is that if I if we do not get a touchdown on this play, we lose. We won't, <laughs> won't get the ball back. It's not coming back to us. There's no – we got one more chance if our defense stops. They're getting run amok by these guys. Uh, you know, look, think about the game you're in. And instead, he – you know, he opted to, well, we'll rely on our defense it's, to get us one more. It's some, and it's something I've brought up numerous times <clears throat> as far as the the Boise State-Oklahoma game. Like, those were fun plays. Those were awesome that they had those in the, the back of the playbook. And it was even more fun that all of them worked. The odds of that ever happening where all of those yeah. trick plays work again are so minuscule. And they didn't they didn't say, like, this is, this is how we win the game in a crazy manner. It was, like, going for all those fourth downs and everything. It's like – and the set, and the, the two point conversion on top of it was just the it was the Peyton Manning thing like Adrian Peterson's gonna run for a touchdown every time they have the ball from here on out so like we can win this now or we can you know we can lose it on the next drive like the, the Peyton oh, Manning that, thing for sure sticks yeah like that was that, no in that like moment the, there was it no didn't stuff. matter no, it no did, like yeah you you have to do this now or you're losing one way or the other yeah uh, okay let's put let's let, let's put a bow on this uh, this was an incredible discussion. Uh, we'll save some good stuff for next time, but just, uh, uh, you know, for the record, I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, how you, you know, can a mental model outperform an analytical model uh, when it comes to handicapping the NFL? Um, number two uh, is, you know, how is run defense best analyzed? Because for some teams who have elite offenses, you want to be bad at run defense on purpose because you know that you will have, Lot, you know, you want to incentivize your opponent to make minus EV decisions offensively. Yeah. But if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you happen to be really bad offensively, you, you know, you absolutely want a good run defense because you're going to need as many opportunities as possible to get your offense out on the field to make up those points. Right. Like, you know, how do you define incentives in terms of how you build out a run defense? I'm curious there. Um, similarly, um, uh, yeah, well, we we'll definitely want to talk more about how you put together a composite rating for a quarterback. That uh, that's one thing uh, that that's killing me here. And then, uh, yeah, offense is offense just a matter of misdirection at this point? <laughs> is that all there is? Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, uh, where can people find all of your brilliant work and uh, um, and all of your commentary on the NFL? So I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Um, I did actually, I do want to plug one article because this did force me to change the way I think. You talk about run defense. I wrote an article in December last year called Interior Run Defenders Matter. Um, very much a, 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 I think you're thinking about it properly, which is you want to entice people to run. 
there are certain players who can win even if you do that in the run game. And that to me is the bee's knees and something that my, I myself undervalued significantly in the NFL for a long time. Um, so that was, so that's a, a good thing. Um, yeah. And then uh, George and I have the PFF forecast. I'm imagining we'll have you two guys on as we have, uh, we did before the draft. I, I gotta say guys, when, when you were on in, in April, I want to say that when you were talking about the first edge defender taken, uh, the market literally moved when that happened. I thought that was really hilarious. I thought that was great, right? Like, I, I, you guys were very in tune with things, um, and it was such a fun discussion. Every time you come on our show, it, it's it's great too. So, um, hoping hoping to do that soon. But yeah, that's um, as you guys said. I think if you listen to this show and you listen to me and Georgia's show, you get a pretty cool uh, coverage of the league. You're bounding the problem. Thank you. And you know what? You know what we've never we you know what we need to do? We need to get George on and we will late in the yeah, season sure. if we if the Niners are because he will be just insufferable if yeah. the Niners are good and the schedule the soft schedule is just oh, yeah. leading to honestly the kind of an unintended consequence of the soft 49ers schedule is a terrible George come like December. Like, we'll, have to, <laughs> we'll have to have Juan come talk some victory laps. For Man, he, he's cranky today and the season hasn't even started. So I can't imagine I, like, I, the, I, the variance. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated about what they're doing. I don't even care about the team winning or losing. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff. We'll put, let's, uh, let's wrap here and, uh, you know, best Close of luck to you this season. Keep up the great work and uh, we will see you on the flip side.